Hello, it's 28th of April 2018, and this is episode 65 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Um, it's been pretty good. I haven't been consuming an awful lot of Star Wars content. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, we read Last Shot last week, or I think you've just finished it, but mm-hmm. it's been a few days since I finished, and I'm kind of just been digesting that and thinking over it and getting more hyped for Solo. But we have lots of exciting news to discuss this week. Like I, I'm really looking forward to getting into that with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I very much agree. The news is definitely very exciting. So I think we should get straight into that. The first and definitely most exciting piece of news is that a new animated series has been announced. And that is Star Wars Resistance. I believe this trademark was registered a few months ago. And I think a lot of us speculated it was probably going to be the new animated show. But we've just got the press release and now we know some more details. So I will read said press release. This fall, welcome to the Resistance. StarWars.com is thrilled to announce that production has begun on Star Wars Resistance, an exciting new animated adventure series about Kazuda Zono, a young pilot recruited by the Resistance and tasked with a top-secret ma- mission to spy on the grown threat of the First Order. It will premiere this fall on Disney Channel in the US, and thereafter on Disney XD and around the world, featuring the high-flying adventures that audiences of all ages have come to expect from Star Wars. Star Wars Resistance, set in the time prior to Star Wars The Force Awakens, will feature the beloved droid BB-8 alongside ace pilots, colourful new characters and appearances by fan favourites including Poe Dameron and Captain Phasma, voiced by actors Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie respectively. The series was created by renowned Lucasfilm animation veteran Dave Filoni, executive produced by Athena Portillo, Justin Ridge and Brandon Allman and art directed by Amy Beth Christensen. The idea for Star Wars Resistance came out of my interest in World War II aircraft and fighter pilots, said Filoni. My grandfather was a pilot, and my uncle flew and restored planes, so that's been a big influence on me. There's a long history of high-speed racing in Star Wars, and I think we've captured that sense of excitement in an anime-inspired style, which is something the entire team has been wanting to do for a long time. Mark Buha senior vice president programming and general manager at disney xd said our colleagues at lucasfilm have created a compelling narrative for an untold moment in the Star Wars galaxy and we're excited to partner with them again on this new original series star wars resistance will bring viewers across generations an engaging story with heart humor and both new and familiar characters in addition to isaac and christie the voice cast includes actors christopher sean susie mcgrath scott lawrence myrna valesco Josh Brenner, Donald Faison, Bobby Moynihan, Jim Rash, and Rachel Batera. So many names. <laughs> Probably so many butchered versions of those names, but I feel like I did a semi-decent job. So, <laughs> go me. <laughs> um, but yeah, moving on from that elaborate readout of the press release, how excited are you for Star Wars Resistance, Kirsty? I am so excited. Same. We've been waiting for ages for news about a sequel trilogy era animated series. Yes. Like we figured that it would happen. And when we heard about Star Wars Resistance, like that seemed to be the obvious reason for that name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really cool to get it confirmed. Yes, definitely. I am so hyped for this because as anyone who's been a longstanding listener of this show will know, I didn't really get into Rebels. 
And I think the main reason for that was that for me it felt very remote from the sequel trilogy era of Star Wars, which is the one that's really captured my imagination and that has the majority of my investment. And so now that I know this series is going to be building up to that and there's always room for it to cross over with the like actual sequel trilogy films and even move into that time after The Last Jedi, eventually, if it's a success, we'll see. Um, but yeah, because there's all that potential there, that makes it so exciting and interesting to me. And yeah, I will definitely be watching this, no question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I watched and enjoyed Rebels, but I think there's a limitation in terms of that you're building on the original trilogy, which is decades old. Mm-hmm. So you also have to tiptoe around things quite carefully, whereas with the sequel trilogy, it can all be unfolding together. So it can feel like an integrated part of that story. Yes. Um. So yeah, I'm really excited. And it's awesome that we're getting people like Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie involved too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's a real coup for them, to be honest. Especially Oscar Isaac, because he's basically like a big movie star. So mm. it's like, wow, I'm super, super impressed by this. I do wonder in what capacity they're going to be appearing, like whether they'll be series regulars, or whether it will be more like special guest appearance by... You know, yeah. that sort of thing. I would kind of lean towards the special guest appearance spy thing. Because, well, one of the main reasons is that there's obviously the Poe Dameron comic. And that mm-hmm. also like seems to occupy the same period in the timeline. And that is in that pre-TFA era. And mm-hmm. so I think, well, how many more new stories can you tell about Poe Dameron in The Resistance? When you already have a whole run of comics that's lasted for several years about that exact thing. If you have too much Poe Dameron in there and he's already a big hero that everyone's already invested in, then it threatens to overshadow the main character of this series. Yeah. So, yeah, they'll probably be quite careful about how much they do include him. Definitely. I must say I'm very intrigued by the idea of him being tasked with a top secret mission to spy on the grown threat of the First Order. Like, I think that leaves lots of interest in story potential because mm-hmm. I really like this thought of him actually kind of going undercover, like in a more long-term way. Because obviously Star Wars has a long long tradition of the heroes donning like First Order slash Imperial costumes and then like sneaking into a base to do whatever. But I'd yeah. like to see that like dragged out as like a whole arc, you know? Like maybe this guy would like make friends and like form allegiances with people in the First Order as he's like finding out information. You know, I think there's really rich, interesting stuff you could do with that. Again, I know it's going to be, like, family-oriented, so I'm not going to, like, expect, like, Heart of Darkness-style, like, political storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I still think there's lots of room for really intriguing stories set in this period of the timeline, and, yeah, I'm super hyped for it. Yeah, and I'm... I feel like there's so much potential here for, like, if he's joining the First Order, you could get People like Finn, Kylo, Hux. Yeah, you know it, it wouldn't just necessarily be Phasma. So yeah. it's really cool. I think it would almost be strange for it to just be Phasma. So if you think about it, like Hux is like the commander essentially of the whole First Order in this period. So you'd kind of need him to have some kind of presence. What I mm-hmm. think is that Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie, they might well be the only big names reprising their roles from the films. But that you will get characters like General Hux who are in there, but they're not voiced by the actors who play them in the films, like due to availability or whatever. Um, right. I think there's real plausibility for that. Because, to be honest, I, I love Donal in the part, and I would not want anyone else to pay, play the part on 
screen on live action. But I think as a voice, you just need to be able to do like a really like smarmy, like posh upper class <laughs> British voice, you know. And there's yeah, a million people that. who could do that. Yeah, exactly. You could be hugs, <laughs> Kirsty. Live the dream. Live the dream. Hey, I've got the hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd especially love it if they did use it as an avenue to explore Finmore, for example. So mm, I think even John Beagas said that he doesn't really understand how Finn came to the decision to like defect from the first order as he did and i think this kind of series like exploring him as like a rookie stormtrooper in training and getting to see more of his personality and how he behaves and what he experienced i think that could provide much more context to that and really make sell you on that decision of Finn's. you know yeah i think so i mean i'm guessing that this will take place after the events of the phasma book so i was always kind of hoping for like more from the cardinal character mm, and um, i love cardinal yeah yeah and how that might fit into finn's decision because obviously cardinal i don't want to go into spoilers but what he does in that book relates to a lot of finn's choices too um so yeah i guess we'll see like there's really they could go in all sorts of directions with this and that's what makes it so intriguing yeah can you remember how many years before tfa bloodline happens Six, I think. Six years, right. Yeah. Yeah, so quite a long time. So it happens about the same time as Bloodline then? I think it's just after because Kylo's obviously with the First Order at that point. Yeah. Maybe it's more like four or five years then. Yeah, I think it's about that. Yeah. So if this is maybe like two or three years before TFA, and then it'll work its way up into the chronology, presumably, like if it's it's going to be over several seasons. Yeah. Because they'll have to go, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm so excited for the storytelling possibilities. Obviously, I'm really looking forward to seeing who the new characters are, and I'm sure they'll be the focus. But again, just to talk about what we know and the context of that in this period, I imagine there could be stuff like about rumours about the fact that General Organa's son has defected to the First Order. You know, they could Mm. explore that kind of thing if they wanted to. And yeah, just the possibilities. It's great. Yeah, because there's been so much mystery around the chronology leading up to the sequel trilogy, right? Like, we've got this 30-year gap that they they are now able to go back and start filling things in. Like, I'm also hoping for a ton of new Luke content mm. at some point. Yeah. Because they don't have to be so mysterious around what he was doing in Octo and what was going on with Ben. Yeah. So, That's got they, can, to be they can open it up more now. Yeah. Because The Legends of Luke Skywalker, I enjoyed it as a read. It was entertaining. But a ton of it is just, like... Um, it's there in the title, it's Legends. So a ton of it is just kind of like tall tales of what people have heard about what Luke might have been up to after the Return of the Jedi. Mm. But I want the actual stuff. Yeah. As if it's real. <laughs> exactly. It feels very wishy-washy, I think, when it's like, <laughs> well, most of this is probably BS. <laughs> you know, like, and of course, it's all like make-believe and stuff. And we we fully exactly. grasp that. So we can distinguish between fantasy and reality regardless of how we come across. Um, but yeah, like, if there's a book that is literally built on the premise that a lot of this really isn't true in the context of this universe, it's just not very compelling. You're kind of like, uh, well then, what does it really mean? <laughs> <laughs> I know this sounds really harsh, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I guess it's, if you look at it from the point of view of like how it feeds into The Last Jedi's themes, it is about the creation of Luke Skywalker as a legend and how he felt he couldn't live up to that. Yes. But still yeah 
Can I also say I really like how there's going to be an actress from EastEnders in this? Yes, I know, right? British soaps represent. Yeah, I, I when I saw that, I was well. My first thought was, why is EastEnders written as two words? I know, right? <laughs> that just it's looks so wrong. Not EastEnders. <laughs> Hello, you EastEnder. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's like no. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, but no, good for her. That's good old Susie McGraw. I, I am not an EastEnders watcher, I must say, so I have no familiarity with her from that programme. But even I recognise that EastEnders is a great British institution. So, yeah, I'm flying the flag. It's all good. Yeah, I, I stopped watching it maybe a year or two after I moved over here. Oh, but... wow. Did you keep it up for that long in America? I'm well, uh, on and off, you know, like soaps run forever. So. Yeah, this is true. You were like, I'm sorry, I need to get up at 3am to watch the new episode of EastEnders. Hey, I can I can sneakily get iPlayer. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, nice. Yeah, <laughs> color me impressed. Um, yeah. Oh, just one final thing. What do you think about the um, style that they're talking about? They're talking about this anime-inspired style, and that's quite intriguing to me. And I, I never really quite liked the visual style of Rebels, so I hope this is quite a distinctive style that it has like personality separate from that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I like that they're doing something different. Um, and I know that there was all this fuss about the Forces of Destiny animation when that came out, but I do kind of like more classic animation as opposed to like CGI stuff. Yeah. Like, anime Sorry. does make me think more 2D, but I know there recently has been more 3D style anime, so mm. it could be anything. And we don't know how literally they mean the whole anime inspired thing, because. Right. It's hard to know what they mean by that and whether they would then be bringing in artists who have worked in anime and yeah, like it might just be something they're throwing out there. Yeah. About. about. Definitely. Like the um, lead character's name, that's um, obviously a Japanese style name, Kazuda at least. Mm. So yeah, they're definitely allowing the influence there, but yeah, we'll see how strongly it impacts the visuals. Hopefully quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, I think that's Star Wars Resistance covered for now. The next thing that we want to talk about is that there is a new interview from Esquire with Alden Ehrenreich, where he goes quite into the nitty-gritty of things about Solo, especially all the drama. Um, so yeah, I thought some <laughs> of this was quite interesting. Um, could you read out the first bit where Lord and Miller talk about the casting, please, Kirsty? Yeah. Um, that quality is more or less what the film's original directors, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who were replaced during filming by Ron Howard, were looking for when they set out to cast the role. The outlaw thing is an act. We wanted someone who presented as a pirate but had a big heart underneath, Lord tells me via email. An impression of Harrison Ford would have felt like an extended SNL sketch, Miller adds. We wanted someone who could evoke the spirit of the iconic performance we all remember while bringing something new and fresh. We talked a little bit of about how Chris Pine, playing Captain Kirk, didn't do a Shatner voice and brought his own spin to the character while still evoking the vibe of that character. We felt Alden did the same with Han Solo. I find this comment quite interesting. To me, it says that they're trying to like push back against all those reports that they were trying to like make a humorous movie and they were trying to make it like a parody thing because this is clearly them talking about how seriously they were taking it and how they didn't want it to be like, for example, an SNL sketch. So I do think it's a bit of like, no, we're going to try and set the record straight from our point of view, because 
Yeah, I'm sure they feel that a lot of these reports that have been coming out are a bit defamatory and very much biased against them, which is probably true, at least to an extent, to be honest. So, yeah, it's um, interesting to see them talk about the casting in these sorts of terms. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to bring up the Chris Pine example. I enjoyed the new Star Trek movies, but I'm not like a huge Star Trek fan. Mm. So I'm not as invested in like how the new Captain Kirk would come across. But I thought that Chris Pine did a good job. Yeah. And I also like Shatner's portrayal. So it's it's nice for these actors. It's important for them to have their own spin on it. Otherwise, it's going to just be an impersonation. And that's cheap. Absolutely. And... I don't know, I guess to me it would kind of feel like going to Madame Two Swords. So I know that appeals to a lot of people, but to me it just does absolutely nothing. You're literally seeing like a plastic version <laughs> of this famous thing that you're familiar with. And right. I kind of think it would be a similar impact if it were just Alden trying to do an impression of Harrison. You know, like you'd just constantly be thinking about the original thing rather than focusing on this new take and actually accepting that as what it is. You know, you'd always be thinking back to Harrison Ford and yeah I much prefer this approach so I'm glad that's what they decided on. Mm-hmm, same do you want me to read the next part yeah uh, yes please so this is Aaron Reich on Lord Miller's dismissal of Lord and Miller Aaron Reich says they had a different style than Ron in terms of the way we were working he's not sure what their solo would have been like he liked the script he liked them as directors he can't say whether they were really taking an Apatovian riffs over script approach from the first screen test on, we played around with it a lot. We tried a lot of different things, rethinking behind the scenes, he says. That was yielding a different movie than the other factions wanted. I knew what I was doing, but in terms of what that adds up to, you're so in the dark as an actor. You don't know what it's shaping up to be, how they're editing it. So it's kind of impossible without having seen those things to know what the difference of opinion was or exactly what created those differences. On any movie set, Aaron Reich says, regarding whatever arguments were going on between the directors and Lucasfilm, the actors are at the kids' table, unless you're also a producer of the movie, so you're really kept out of all the backroom dynamics of what was going on. He wasn't told that Lord and Miller were being replaced until it happened, he says. The directors themselves told him almost immediately. They said, we were let go, and that's it. They had mentioned there were some disagreements before, but they didn't get into it. They wished me the best with the rest of the movie. On a personal level, it felt emotional for them to be going after we'd set, that, set out on that course together. Because I spent a lot of time with them and we had a really good relationship, they also cast me. But I think at that point, they were kind of on board with the decision too. Like, this is what's happening. That's not what they said to me, but that was the vibe I got. I find it so interesting to get his perspective on this. And it actually makes me feel really sorry for him, to be honest. It sounds like such a shitty situation to be in. Especially the whole description of being at the kids' table. Which I think captures it really well. Because they must have just felt so like helpless and clueless about everything and I think that must be a very very frustrating feeling. I, I kind of sense a lot of like trauma almost from Alan to be honest in terms of how he talks about these things you can, I think you can really tell this like affected him I think especially when he explains about how they had this really good relationship and they cast him which all makes complete sense but yeah I guess it must have been like being separated from friends in a way you know and that's not pleasant so good on him for sticking to the promo line and still supporting the film and everything not that he'd be able to do anything else of course he's contractually obligated to support the film but well that's the thing he just he's saying that he doesn't know everything that went on because why would they i think people maybe don't think about this stuff that much that like 
if you don't need to bother the actors about something, you don't. Yeah. Like they don't they don't have to know everything that's going on behind the scenes of the directors in Lucasfilm. Yeah. Because they're just trying to do their job and you don't want to take them out of that and distract them. Yes. So he's just required to do his performance as well as he can and that's what he was doing. And he would continue to do that with Ron Howard. Yeah. So it's like all this gossip that goes on, but like even people who are very much involved from our perception aren't really. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's easy to forget that it's just like a layperson. You kind of assume that, oh, this person's the lead star in the film. They must have been privy to absolutely everything. But that's clearly not true. So like, there were even rumours, which I think this interview refutes actually, that Alden went to Kathleen Kennedy and said he was having problems with Lord and Miller. And he explicitly says that's not what happened in this interview. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that makes sense because I don't think as an actor you'd think that was your place to say that kind of thing to be honest i think he says he would never say something like that unless he literally felt people were like in mortal danger (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. this all makes sense to me definitely cool do you want to read out the last quote sure so this is olden on researching the character he delved into wikipedia a fan curated online reference source that's exactly what it sounds like he likes the idea that everything the characters do in this film, every place they visit, will become part of the lexicon. They're writing directly into the canon. The wardrobe is a big part, he says. I remember doing my audition on the Falcon, putting on the jeans with a Corellian bloodstripe. Per Wikipedia, an award for conspicuous gallantry given by the Corellian military forces. And thinking, oh yeah, this is Star Wars. Like, this is really Star Wars now. Oh, that's really cute and nerdy. <laughs> it is. I'm, I wonder if he knows what a double-edged sword or this canon and not canon stuff is. Are you sure he doesn't? From the way he's talking about it, it sounds like he's appreciating it in a very innocent way. Uh, I was yeah. in Forbidden Planet today and there was a new book for sale called The Military Science of Star Wars. Oh, man. And like, don't be wrong, I'm sure it's a very good book if that's something that you're interested in. But for me, that's like the antithesis of everything that Star Wars represents and every aspect of Star Wars that's interesting to me. You know, like, that idea of, like, trying to tie it down, nail it down so much, that you're literally talking about in terms of military science. I just find that very depressing. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way I enjoy fandom either, but I like that he's he's gone there and done the research on things that pertain to his character. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, that's, that's obviously important backstory for Han Solo. I, um, I hope you clicked the right tab at the top of Wikipedia. Can you imagine if he'd read all the legend stuff? <laughs> then it'd be like, well, that would be confusing because it's like, this is the stuff that they filled in that's very different from what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really hope someone explained that to him. I think what they need to do is um, when they cast someone in Star Wars, like Pablo and Story Group, they need to put together like a care package for them. That's like a list of bullet points and like an easy like introduction into like what canon is and what you should avoid. So like Alden should have been told, do you see any reference to you and Princess Leia having children named Jaina, Jason and Anakin? That is no longer accurate. You've got to go up to the top of the screen, click the little canon button and then that's what's true. And you can absolutely pay attention to that. As long as you don't think too far ahead, because your character's not omniscient. Um, you know, I think care packages would be nice, basically. Because... I'd be surprised if they don't do anything like... Oh, I guess they don't, because Donald Gleeson has expressed surprise upon hearing <laughs> things about his character's backstory, too. Yeah, well, I think when they're not explaining very fundamental things to them, like your character's first name... <laughs> I know! ...don't have much faith. <laughs> like... I bet he had a first name in his head. 
Yeah, he probably yeah. did. I'd love to know what his like head canon name for Hux was. Yeah, he said like I'm not sharing any of it because none of it's right. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that, but still, I I would want to know like, Reginald maybe. I could see that Reginald yeah. Hux. <laughs> yeah, they need to be careful because if if Alden was in this interview and then started talking about all the legend stuff, people would be like, oh. This is a sham. He's not a real Star Wars fan. Oh, God. Yeah, can you imagine? Isn't you destroying the legends? Blah, blah. Yeah, that'd just be mortifying. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a nice interview, and he came across very well. And mm-hmm. he looked very good in the spread. It's a very handsome <laughs> dude. Yeah, very plain speaking about all this stuff, which is refreshing. So. Yeah. No, I like that. He clearly doesn't have any BS, which I like. And it actually reminds me of the way that Harrison is. You know, he's similarly straightforward in terms of how he discusses things. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be doing themselves any favours if they just ignored all the Lord and Miller stuff. Mm. So they just have to make it sound as boring as possible, really. Like, yeah, wasn't working out. They knew it, we knew it. Yeah. And then we switched, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. It's the best they can do. I do feel bad for them, though, because um, I feel like in every interview that takes them more space than like the current direction. They'll spend like two thirds talking about all the drama and how Lord and Miller came to leave the project. And they'll just do like a postscript about how Ron Howard's the director now and how it's all okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't want to give too much away about what he's doing because there's still this element of mystery around Star Wars films, right? Yeah. So they're showing us what they want to in the promo. But even with all these various TV spots that were coming out, a lot of it is repeated from the earlier trailers and teasers. You're not getting a ton of new footage. Yeah. Right. Then the next thing we're going to talk about is that there's been a German TV spot for Solo. Um, This is virtually identical to other footage we've already had. The main point of distinction is that there's the first dialogue for Quinlan Voss. It's in German. So unfortunately, you're not going to be treated to my hilarious German pronunciation which I'm told by a German friend is absolutely excruciating and horrible. And she finds it so horrible that it's actually hilarious. So it's not all bad. Um, But yeah, I won't be reading German today. But I will read translations of Voz's lines. So the first line he says is, Give me a reason not to kill you. One would imagine that's said to Han and Orlando. (laughs) Probably both, who knows. Um, And then the second line from him is, You'll have to be careful for the rest of your life. So yeah, they sound like things a big shot gangster would say, essentially. No real surprises, but I like that we're finally hearing the characters speak, but in another language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen this myself, but they do sound appropriately sinister for a evil villain. Exactly. Um, it's not saying here are some flowers I bought for you today. <laughs> Kirsty has now just watched the TV spot in question. So, Kirsty, your snap response to what is shown in the TV spot. Uh, it's pretty cool. It looks like she's there in the party situation that was just shown in like, the the earlier trailers with like the, the dancing and everything, the singer, yep. because she's wearing that same dress. So she's just sat on a couch while he talks to Han. Yeah. Like, would you do you get the impression just from how they're sitting with each other that she seems like his girl? That they seem like they're together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and unless they're playing on those assumptions, right? Yeah, that's true. What's the bit where she says like, 
oh, you look good. It, it just seems to set up that they haven't seen each other for a while until this moment. Yeah. And then and she's with this guy now. Yeah, no, there's dialogue in one of the previous TV spots about like that basically implies that they haven't seen each other in a long time. So I think the assumption that can be formed is that in the interim, Ham went off and did his thing and Kira took this different path and that led her to end up with Dryden Voss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's it. That's interesting to me. So I guess I like to think it'll actually be playing on those like whole stereotypes, like the gangsters' mole. You know, because yeah. that's like very much like a tropey character that you get in films going like way, way, way back. You know, but often she's just like an ornament or she's like a tragic victim. So hopefully that's going to be like subverted, or they're going to be doing unusual things with that character that go beyond that. Yeah, I think it's going to be that. Kira has her own goals separate from Hans and Voss's. Yeah. And she's playing them both in some capacity. I would love that. I really hope yeah. that's what we get, to be honest. And I could see that happening as well. Because, especially if she double-crosses Voss, because he looks very dangerous, but he also looks very slimy in a way mm-hmm. that would make me like cheer for her to defy him and get the upper hand on him. Exactly. I want to root for her too. So Yeah. So I know lots of people are speculating that she's going to be the villain. And I definitely don't think she's going to be like a pure snowflake. But I also don't think she's going to be like the ultimate bad person in the film. You know, I think that she's probably going to make bad choices and do bad things. But I don't think she's going to be evil or anything like that. She's probably just going to be like a grey character in the way that Han is. And that she's self-serving and out for herself. And I hope she's not demonised for that because that's what we celebrate Han Solo for. So it shouldn't be like the woman is demonised for doing exactly the same thing because like a different shade is thrown in it by the fact that she's female. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited for her character. Um, yeah, same. Okay, right. Then the next thing we want to talk about is that we have a whole bunch of new solo character posters and these were released via BuzzFeed. Um, I actually quite like how these look. They're obviously not like reinventing the wheel. They are character posters, so each one features a character. Um, I do like the kind of painterly effect they have going on, which you don't mm-hmm. realise, I don't think, unless you open them up big. But they all have like a filter on them that makes them look painted. And I especially love Fanti Newton's poster because I'm watching Westworld Series 2 at the moment and she's just such an amazing badass. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Kira looks great too. And oh, Lando, yeah. of course. I, I kind of like the look of everyone. Like, I think Val, Kira, and Lando stand out to me the most. Um, and I do also like how Chewie looks. He looks very well-groomed, because Chewie can sometimes look very much not himself. Like, <laughs> occasionally, um, people will use, like, stills of him in Revenge of the Sith. And that just always gives me, like, the heebie-jeebies, <laughs> because he looks like a Halloween costume of Chewbacca. It just looks yeah. so, so wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's not Chewie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. I'll be honest, the main reason I included this in the notes is that I wanted to protest in ardent terms about the fact that Chewbacca's poster is the only one where the actor isn't credited. So everyone else is like Amelia Clark as Kira, for example. But with the Chewbacca poster, it's just Chewbacca. Yeah, so on the poster for Chewbacca, Yunus, whose surname I'm not going to attempt, I'm so sorry, is not credited. And I think that's really unfair. I, can, I know exactly why they've done it, and it's because they don't want to turn off any like purist people who are like, oh, it's not Peter Mayhew anymore. 
And I do think that's like a tiny minority who would care about that. But that tiny minority is the kind that would like make a thing of it. You know, even though that's ridiculous and there's very good reasons why Peter isn't doing it anymore. But still, I think that's besides the point and it's unfair that he's not getting his due, basically. What do you it's think? It's quite funny to me because I'm trying to work, work out what their goal is. It's almost like they want us to have the illusion that Chewbacca is real. <laughs> oh, yeah, so we have Chewbacca as himself. You know? Like, you've got other alien characters here, like the John Favreau one, which we're not even sure how much he's actually going to be in it. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think that's what I found so insulting. It's not like all of these posters are humans apart from Chewbacca. And so Chewbacca is the only one without credit. I think, okay, maybe you can kind of rationalise that. But I'm sorry, but you have like John Favreau credited for this bizarre monkey creature. Like, it's just like, no. Yeah. I, I, has anyone at Lucasfilm explained this? Has anyone like tweeted Pablo or anyone? Not that he would know because it's not like he's in the marketing department, but it just seems such a strange call. Yeah, I haven't followed it, to be honest. They might have, but if they have, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Strange. I'd like to think it'll be corrected, but I won't hold my hopes up. Probably not. Like we're so close to it now. Yeah. They they won't correct these posters, but they could like push the fact that he's the new Chewbacca. I know he's not really new, he's been in it since TFA, but that you know, he's done this fantastic job. Because if you're proud of the role, show off the person underneath it, you know? And and he's great. Like every time I see him in something, he's so charming. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. Make him the new Gwendolyn Christie. Come on. <laughs> he's tall. He's blonde. He's got a nice smile. <laughs> he can do it. Exactly. Um, right. Then the last two things are going to be very quick. But the first one is that we seem to have further confirmation now that Enfys Nest is indeed female. And this was revealed in a way that's typical for Star Wars news on the back of a Hot Wheels toy. <laughs> Um, because yeah I believe it referred to Enfys with female pronouns and yeah I'd say it's pretty clicker now that Enfys is a woman which is good I just bring this up because we were going for a moment of doubt last week because I think Star Wars Insider referred to Enfys as he and it was like no so yeah I just wanted to set the record straight with this are you happy Kirsty? I am very happy with this I've seen some people be like, you're making too big a deal out of it. Who cares if it's male or female? It's like, it's not a huge deal. I don't know if the character's going to be that important yet, but I would like more female villains. Sue me. Come on. Like, great if it doesn't make a difference to you, but it does matter to some of us. Yeah, exactly. And I get a positive theory here. This isn't like an original theory, because I know everyone, their mother, is saying that uh, Enfys will be revealed to be Kira in some way. But I do think that Kira is Enfys. But I think the reason for her being Enfys is so that she can kind of operate against Dryden without Dryden being aware. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, and I hope that's what they do. If she's not Enfys, and I I know this is the favourite fan theory, but it could just as easily not be true, but it just seems odd to me that they wouldn't have announced who's playing Enfys, if that's the case. Like, that would be an odd choice. Yeah, it seems very suspicious, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, so we'll see. Exactly. Then the final thing is that some German cinemas sent out newsletters indicating that the tickets for Solo will go on sale on Star Wars Day, which is May 4th. And yeah, that's again pretty much what we expected. Um, I think it was just too close to Star Wars Day that it's kind of like, 
yeah, they're just going to wait now. <laughs> it's going to be on Star Wars Day. And lo and behold, it is going to be on Star Wars Day. So yeah, are you going to buy your tickets in advance, Kirsty, or are you probably going to get them on the day and be more casual about it? I think we're going to buy them in advance because I'd still like to see it the first night. Yeah, same. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Have you been reading anything about this movie pass stuff? Yeah, I've been reading lots and lots of drama about movie pass. Yes. I am frustrated. Right. It feels weird because you can't really complain because like the whole model seemed too good to be true from the beginning, yeah. right? That you could see all these movies as many times as you wanted. Mm. So now it's like you can only see maximum of five movies i think and you can't see the same movie twice yeah i saw that i think it's actually a maximum of four so it's oh. quite limited okay how will i live it's like i will still be saving money because it was such a crazy deal from the start yeah um and it's not like every month i get to see more than four sometimes i just don't have time mm. but seems a little sneaky because i think apparently they changed the rules about the only being able to see a movie once without actually telling people they just sneakily changed it in their terms and conditions they didn't yeah. send out an email or anything i know that movie pass has a really dodgy reputation yeah what i don't understand is why like the movie theater chains in america don't do a similar deal to what like odeon and exactly um, will do here because that seems to work so so well i think it works well because they lock you in for 12 months from the outset Whereas things like Movie Pass, I think you just cancel at any time. It's like a Netflix subscription. Yeah. And obviously that means that you're requiring more from the subscribers, but it's still such an amazing deal. So like I pay because I'm in London, I pay nineteen ninety nine a month. And then that's truly limitless movies. It's not limitless in the sense you can see one a day. You can see however many movies you want in a day. So if I wanted to see four movies on Monday and four movies on the Tuesday following totally fine i could i wouldn't because i'm not mad <laughs> that's 100 percent a thing you could do and yeah i think that system works because for most people they might use their limitless pass like more in one month and then go by a month where they'd only see like one or two movies you know and then for the cinemas they're not really losing out from that deal that much and they're getting that regular money coming in from the subscription whereas yeah movie pass it just seems like a much more full yeah, it's more like a, a gym pass or something, isn't it? Because realistically, people won't get to see that many movies every month because they're busy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the same as you. I wish that was a thing here. And I don't know why it's not. If anyone out there knows of something like that, please let me know. But I'm guessing there isn't because that's why movie pass has been this huge thing in the press here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was surprised when I moved here and there was nothing like that because it's been something in the UK for quite some time. Yeah. Did you have a limitless pass when you were in the UK? No, I didn't. I was a poor student and couldn't afford anything like that. <laughs> no, it's all good. But now I have a job. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like chains like AMC and stuff. They're really missing a trick. Because that's all custom that could be coming to them and not going via this third party. So, yeah. Hopefully they'll but develop something. Maybe they will in response to MoviePass. Maybe yeah. they'll see that there was demand there, but they need to do it themselves so they can actually keep the money. That's what I don't understand. You'd have, I think it was AMC really kicked up a fuss about MoviePass. And it's like, if you had your own version of this, people would use it. Exactly. Yeah. And they wouldn't be like, like two timing you basically with MoviePass. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry for people who weren't at all interested in MoviePass. 
No, I, I think it's relevant. So it's all it, you know, it is relevant because I was talking to some friends about this a couple of days ago and all this stuff happened with Pass. It's probably going to affect how many times I see Solo. Yeah. Because now I'm going to have to pay for each viewing, whereas I did not have to do that with The Last Jedi. Yeah. Oh, man, you must have got so much use out of it for Last Jedi. I did. I mean, I paid for it a fair few times, too, because like, we were up in Vancouver and then I wanted to go and see it at the Cinerama, which is this really good theatre that isn't Pass eligible. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the time, like, you know, past maybe viewing four... I, I watched it for free nice. um, movie pass and now I can't so I probably will only see solo two or three times maybe yeah. we'll see I'll see how much I like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure yeah I can't sure remember how many times do. I saw Rogue One maybe three or four I think yeah I think I saw Rogue One three or four times like and I think that towards the end was because other people wanted to see it with me rather than me wanting to see it. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it like it was some horrible torture, but it's the kind of thing where I was like, yeah, I'm cool now. Um, mm-hmm. and But then other people wanted to go, and I was like, sure, why not? So, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. If it came out, it was over the Christmas period. People just want to go and see that stuff, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Might be different cool. of all the Infinity War hype going on right now. Yeah, exactly. I'm still not sure if I'm going to see that. I didn't see it today. I'm going to avoid it this weekend just because I'm grumpy and don't like crowds. But. Yeah. Oh, so do you think you will see it eventually? I guess. If, if Movie Pass is still available. Yeah. And like, I can why see not? It. Yeah, I'm curious because th- there is this like feeling of FOMO with popular culture. <laughs> like everyone's talking about it on social media and even in these coded terms. Mm. The, the, it actually makes me laugh because a lot of people are posting things like, not to spoil anything, but... And then it's like, I can kind of read between the lines and work out what you're talking about. I yeah. know which is going to die now. Like, yeah, it's funny. Pretty obvious it? if you're talking about something. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you just told me. Yeah, I kind of feel like that. I kind of feel like I want to see it, but only really because I don't want to like miss out on all these conversations that are happening about it. Right. Like, because, yeah, you do feel left behind <laughs> otherwise by like the like hot conversation. Exactly. I guess it's interesting to see it in the context of like these things are so influential in terms of mainstream big huge movies and I've seen a lot of people talking about it in terms of like being Marvel's version of The Last Jedi and I'm like what do you mean by that? Yeah. It takes things up I guess but that could mean so much. Yeah. We will see. Then I think we can move on to our spotlight section which today is going to be a discussion of Last Shot. So yeah, Kirsty, I was wondering if you could like take the lead here and just start by like discussing your general thoughts, impressions about the book. Yeah, so I wrote these notes up this morning and before we started talking, or like recording the show anyway, um, you told me that you didn't like the book that much. Which yeah. is really interesting because I, I I'm worried now that I've like written the notes with the assumption that you feel about it the same way I did. So I'm like fangirling over certain elements and I haven't really put much in here in terms of critique um, because that's not really what I came away with. So I'm really interested to see how this discussion is going to go, actually. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's not my favorite of the new Star Wars canon books, but it's pretty up there. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's really come along to replace the Claudia Gray books. Yes. Um, so it's hard for me to choose between them. I think they're all great, but they're probably my top three. And but this is this is pretty up there. I really enjoyed it, and it got me really excited about Solo more than I was. So yeah, you want to talk a little bit about how you feel? Uh, yeah, no, sure. So first of all, like 
I, I wasn't like super keen on it. Like I did like enjoy it, like in some parts more than others. Um, but I think for me, I kind of almost felt like there was too much like action for my tastes. Mm. Um, so it's like a very like action heavy book, and that Han Lando the constantly getting into like scrapes and like having escapades and stuff. And that stuff is fun, but like I've always found this, and this is true of all books, not just Star Wars books. Like that stuff doesn't work too well when it's written for me. I think unless it's really, really exceptionally written. Um, and I prefer like books that are more like grounded in like character interactions and like get inside characters' heads. And there was some really great character stuff in that shot, but there were great stretches of it where I felt like that really wasn't as much of a focus. And yeah, it was kind of like zoning out for those parts. Okay, I understand that. There was a lot of action. Um... But I thought that that was done really well. Like you, it's not always my favorite part of a story. And we've talked before about how sometimes we'll zone out in like the battle moments of movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was really well written. And there was a lot of really intriguing tension, like the build up to everything happening at the end with like Han worried about Leia and Ben. And then I really liked that. That was definitely the best executed like action moment. And I had the clearest vision in my head of how that was all playing out um by the way i think we should point out that um this is gonna be a spoiler discussion (laughs) of last shot so i'd recommend not really listening unless you either have no intention of reading the book or you've already read the book yourself would you agree with that kirsty yeah yeah um yeah no so i agree with you about the ending um because yeah i could really visualize that in my mind um which i felt like i couldn't for other parts of it i think another problem for me was that there was like lots of jargon, especially like Star Wars specific jargon in terms of like describing like the races and the species and all that kind of thing. And like I could have often done with like more like nudges in terms of what these species were. So like he'd say things like two Iforians like sharing a milkshake. And like when I looked up an Iforians and what those aliens look like, I was like, oh, that's actually a really cool image. But the book kind of takes it for granted that you know what those aliens look like and it didn't really build a picture for me as someone who didn't instantly know what Ophorians were like of what was going on there so that kind of stuff felt a bit like alienating and made it a bit less accessible to me okay I guess I I can totally see your points I'm not disagreeing with you it was just I was so focused on like the the dynamics between Leia and Han and Han and Lando and Lando with this new romantic interest yeah um that that was kind of the stuff I was focusing on and taking away from it so all the other stuff kind of even that as interesting as the whole like story with Fies and Gore and the droids and everything as cool as that stuff was like I felt it was very campy in a Doctor Who Cyberman kind of way <laughs> yes so much like the Franken droids you yeah, know that was that really is fun. not a and villain it- with great psychological depth <laughs> No, but he did have interesting moments where you're like, are they going to go for something sympathetic here? Because, like, the first time you see him, obviously what happens to him is horrible. You know, he basically gets forced into this life, but then he latches onto it with glee. It's like, oh, okay, I guess you are evil underneath it all. (laughs) Um, Wanted this. But yeah, like, I enjoyed all of that stuff too, but it wasn't really the main appeal for me. It was, like, backdrop to then facilitate these interactions between Han and Lando because of course the way the timeline thing's constructed you come into it thinking that all of this is Han's fault because of his uh, previous interactions with Gore Mm. 
but then it comes out later that actually Lando has his own. So they equally like blaming each other. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of miscommunication and fun banter as a result. Yeah. No, and I really did like all that character stuff, like all the things you've just mentioned, like the banter with Han and Lando, the stuff with Leia and Ben and Han, and the stuff with Lando and Kasha. That's right, isn't it? Is the twi- Twi'lek girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, all of that, that was really great for me, and I felt those were the strongest parts of the book. So don't worry, I can definitely talk about those in, like, effusive terms, because I really enjoyed those moments. But yeah, I think for me, they didn't stand out as strongly as they did for you. Um, yeah, and I, I just sometimes felt like they got a bit lost. And I was also a bit frustrated by the structuring of it with the like constant like switching between times and narration. Um, which obviously I know is like a fundamental part of the books. The whole point is that it is meant to gradually unfold and you're meant to discover over the course of the book what, what actually went, went down in the past with this like madman <laughs> and his like quest for like robot supremacy um but yeah i i was just kind of like oh I'd rather it would just be like a focused single narrative like it kind of reminded me a bit of phasma because with that book i was kind of annoyed when it went back into the past and it kind of stayed there for a long time phasma was much less choppy than last shot so i think that kind of helped but yeah, I, I would just prefer to see a Star Wars book where it's just a nice, clean narrative, which I think is why I love Leia, Princess of Alderaan so much, because that's exactly what that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I liked the way that they all fed together to tell the story, but it did get a bit confusing in places, and I mm-hmm. did find myself checking back to the chapter title to check what part of the timeline it was in. Yeah, I, I think that was part of it for me as well. Like, often... I was kind of like, I'm not sure how much of this I'm actually taking in or understanding in terms of like the narrative because it was just constantly switching. And I think it takes more like headspace, you know, to get your head around that when you're not dealing with like one timeline or two timelines, you're dealing with three different ones and you kind of have to cross-reference them all in your mind and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Was... And you have these characters that only turn up in some timelines and then you have others that are across all of them. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a bit confusing. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's like a um, a Gungun character. And yeah. I, I think I got so confused because I thought at one point that he was in the present, but I don't think he oh, is. I think he's no. just in Lando's past. Or is it Han's past? <laughs> See, I'm already confused. Oh, wait a minute. No, he's in present because... He is in present. That's... Yeah, isn't he? Because then that's when they go to that place so that Pete Perkin um hack in and get the information from gore isn't that what happened yeah i think i think you're right i think i'm getting the gungun confused with that character who kind of falls for like sana and like has like a thing for her oh the little tiny thing (laughs) right okay kind of like you and i wasn't paying too much attention to all the secondary stuff yeah like there was that guy with the funny accent that was like stylized in in the dialogue yeah yeah, and he was like the mob guy, but I don't. I'm still not quite sure like what species he was. I think it's that kind of thing that I'm struggling with, you know, because I I just couldn't picture these things. I didn't feel like the book was giving me enough to like build I got a the... clear picture of what was happening. Yeah, am I totally wrong, or was he like in a little box? He was that small. Well, that's the thing. Like, I didn't even really register that to be honest. Maybe I was reading it too quickly. There probably I... was something like that, but yeah, yeah it just didn't register for me 
Yeah, sorry. People are probably like shouting at us now because. Yeah, sorry. Of course, couldn't you tell he was this certain alien species and that? But that's (laughs) not the stuff I ever pay attention to. And I always come to these books with like, okay, what is this going to tell me about the character that I already know and love? And I feel like it did. Like, obviously, we've we've got a ton of like extra hand stuff compared to Lando, but I really liked the parallels between them as these two scoundrels who were learning to love and learning to let those walls down. So we see that with Han in the original trilogy, but we didn't in the same way with Lando because he was a secondary character. Yeah. I loved seeing his romance with Kasha so much here. Like I thought that was really well done and it was pretty sexy. Yeah, it was. And I really liked um, like how that was introduced as well. So that's where the book starts, isn't it? Um, Like by talking a bit about their history and yeah, I think they're in bed together when um, the crisis does happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which felt very classic to me. It reminded me of something for like a Bond film. <laughs> like, oh, we were just having this great time. And then, oh, God, this bloody crisis has to break out. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, so I strongly appreciated that. Yeah, so I, I kind of g- grabbed on to those as the core things to follow through the book. Like, you know, all the various ways in which it has a theme of love that you have this the family, the parental theme of like this really honest look about how people can be paralyzed by self-doubt as new parents. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a, that was really honest and wonderful. Um, yeah. And then you had Hannah Lando's mm-hmm. friendship and you, you even had like these foils in terms of like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but there was this bit on page 62 where Han is at Maz's castle and he's talking, I don't have an actual quote here, but I think he was talking about being heartbroken and vague terms about this girl. And didn't that sound like Kira? Yeah, but I think that's kind of how I read it. And that's the stuff I really, really liked because you do get these kind of like illusions that create these mysteries. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think those that kind of moment will feel much more like, ah, I know exactly how he's feeling in that moment after we've seen Solo. Because, yeah, like Kira to me almost seems to be like the rosebud in Han's history right now. <laughs> right. I think she's like this hugely significant part of his past. Um, but yeah, because it's so important, we don't know exactly what she was or the ramifications that she had on his life. And I think that in large parts, Solo will be about exploring that. So I do get the impression that I'm not sure how prominent she's going to be compared to Lando, but I do think she might be the most prominent character after Han, then Mm. Lando, or at least Kira and Lando might be on the same level. I think she's going to be very, very important, basically. And yeah, like she, his heart's clearly broken over her in some way, but I want to find out Yeah, he's getting drunk, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it could be so many things. It could be, but... I mean, he's. I think it's pretty clear that he's talking about a girl, right? Yeah. So it's either her or it's someone else who's filling that role in this story. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to think it's her so that it does feed into Solo. And yeah. then he meets Sana. So you have all these different foil relationships to his eventual settling down and having his big love with Leia. Yeah, um, which I really cause... appreciate because I did get the impression that Sana... Sana almost felt to me in this book a bit like a rebound relationship. Well, it wasn't. It was like jokingly playing up the fact that he thinks that 
she's in love with him and she's like nah <laughs> yeah but then like i found later on there was like these descriptions like about han like just like staring at her and thinking about how pretty and beautiful she is and... oh yeah and that there was a bit where it was like oh they could have this on the run from the law relationship where they're having wild adventures and making sweet love on piles of credits <laughs> i was like whoa yeah that's very forward <laughs> Yeah, I really loved the interactions with Han and Chewie over that too, because Chewie was just like, you're insane. And Han kept saying like, oh no, she's definitely in love with me. Can't you tell? It's super obvious. (laughs) (laughs) She's being really mean to me. That means she loves me. That's such a Han Solo thing. I love it. (laughs) But yeah, another thing I really liked about this book that is it felt very socially conscious and diverse without trying too hard or like inserting those themes awkwardly yeah like you know we have taka who's obviously a non-binary character which mm-hmm. we, we've had those before with chuck wendig's story in aftermath but yeah. um still really wonderful to have that and Definitely. um and like I, I thought the part when han meets the guggen is really great um you know he has his prejudices challenged yeah like that's a very relatable real world thing you know it's also a lesson that many um, prequel haters could <laughs> yeah well part of me did wonder if it was kind of this dig at some of the racial undertones of the prequels mm, that's interesting actually you know you have characters like Jar Jar and Watto and or I don't know, even know their species name who um, are the um, the trade federation guys oh god um Numidians, I think, something like that. Oh yes, that's it. Yeah. So I, I part of me was like, mm, I wonder if this is kind of playing into those criticisms. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool have. if it is, because that would be a nice bit of revisionism. Because I definitely don't think the prequels were socially conscious enough of how they were, perhaps exactly. like invoking those stereotypes. So yeah, it's nice to see some course correction for that in a way. Hmm. So. I wanted to ask you what you thought about the style of the writing because I've seen some people um I was talking to Shy at Meta Machina about this. She was concerned that it would mean like this basically there are a lot of nods to like current memes and 2018 vernacular like things like can't relate <laughs> Lando's talking about himself like looking fierce stuff like that and it's like yeah. how much is this going to matter in terms of how well the story ages and i said i don't think it matters too much because it's not that like they haven't put the stuff in the movie itself and i feel like the movies are what need to stand the test of time yeah so if you're going to include a reference to like a millennial meme or whatever you would call it i'm not really a super internet-y person <laughs> uh, like does it matter that much and i don't think it does because i don't feel like the books have as much staying power yeah, like, I definitely agree with your logic there. I think that the books can get away with it in a way that the films can't. I, I definitely think the style wasn't to my tastes, which is, again, probably another factor in why I wasn't too hot on it. Um, but, yeah, like, I agree. It, it doesn't bother me that much because, yeah, I don't take these books too seriously. To me, they're just, like, fun little add-ons. So, like, if they're great books, then that's absolutely awesome and I'm really happy because... I, I want high standards all round but yeah if it is a bit more like of the moment or like clearly like constrained by its nature 
as like a tie-in to a movie that is released in 2018 when there's a very specific set of circumstances, then that's okay too, because mm. that's always inevitable to an extent. Yeah, I liked that it was allowed to have its own distinct voice, mm. that you don't have to have like all the Star Wars books sounding the same as if they're all written by the same author and that the, the author's natural individual voice can come through. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Okay, so um, let's move on and talk about some of the, the themes of the book. Uh, so it starts out with like this the present day timeline. So baby Ben is two years old and sleeping, you know, in, in Han's bed and Han's just like relieved that he can he can get off to sleep finally. Cause I think he says something about how he ha- hasn't slept in a couple of days or it feels that way. Um and it really kind of sets up the theme of Han feeling a lot of self-doubt in terms of his abilities as a parent. Um, that he constantly feels like he's doing the wrong thing and that Ben would almost be better off without him, which is yeah. really sad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just that he feels like he's letting da- down his family and everything happens so quickly Yeah. Um, in terms of his relationship with Leia and then settling down after the war and having a child. So how well do you think all that stuff was executed? I felt it was executed very well. That like this whole strand with like Han and his relationship with his family, that was the part I was most engaged by. Of course there was like a head start there because naturally I'm invested in Han and Leia and Baby Ben Solo. Especially the baby Ben stuff, come on. Um <laughs> So yeah, I was predisposed to being be on board for that. But yeah, I did really like how it was explored and it felt very like emotionally honest to me. I felt like the author was being very even-handed in terms of how every party in that family would have been feeling about that. Because I mm-hmm. think you understand everyone's feelings about the situation from Hans to Leia's to Ben's. And I think you feel sympathy for each viewpoint, which is as it should be. Yeah, exactly. Like throughout the book, there are these continual references to how Han doesn't feel like he's good enough as a dad. And Leia notes, you know, you didn't have a father figure growing up so you're doing the best you can Um, and it's really rounded off nicely towards the end of the book so I've I've got page 340 open here so this is like right at the end after everything's okay with the world again Um, Leia says what's wrong she put Ben down and sent him off to play tired of saving the world come on home to me love the words felt like a healing balm over his tired body but one he couldn't fully allow himself to accept That's just it, Han said. It feels right being out here, but it feels wrong that it feels right. And then I... He waved his hand uselessly. Then I just want... No, I need to be back with you and Ben. And then I am, and I feel like nothing I do is right, and all I want is to be out where I know how to do things. Leia laughed. Oh, Han. I have no idea what I'm doing, Han finally blurted out, and it felt so good. I don't know how to be a father. I barely know how to be a husband. I'm just... I'm used to things that I can just... Leia cocked an eyebrow. Shoot. (laughs) Han threw his arms in the air, giving up. Something like that. Her eyes got stern, and Han put his face in his hands and shook his head, braced for the smackdown. Han, you try. No one knows how to be a parent before they are one. Not really. But you try. And then you fail, and then you figure out a better way. That's what this is. There's no one way. Han looked up. Even this. You're terrible with words, Han. Hey, thanks. You know this, but you try, you old lug. You don't just give up, you figure out a way. And yes, sometimes you've got to zoom off to figure things out, and that up to a point is okay. It is? Up to a point? 
players now. <laughs> but yeah, do you think I don't want to break from you sometimes? Besides, sometimes <laughs> I'm going to need to dash off and you're going to get to hang out with Ben all day. Got it? Han nodded. And sometimes that wild mischievous glint flashed in her eye. We'll go off together like we used to and leave Ben with a sitter. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just really nice and realistic, I think, that they're showing that no one really knows what they're doing when they're a first time parent. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not a parent. I'll own up to that. Like, I'm just speaking from what I hear from my friends who have kids. You do not know what you're doing. You might think you do, but you don't know what it's going to be like until it happens. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like Leia says, you keep trying. And realistically, people need time away from their kids as well. Like, I, I really appreciated that part of this book, that it was honest about how they both had career goals that they wanted to achieve, but equally that they would want to spend time as a couple away from Ben too. And that doesn't mean yeah. that they don't love him. Yeah. No, I really, really loved that. I think it felt like such a healthy portrait of a family. And I, I like that there's always that emphasis on, of course, you can have time away with limits, you know, because I think that's probably a pointer towards what went wrong further down the line. Maybe it was that he went away without limits past a certain point, presumably when that break came with Ben. Well, I guess we know by bloodline that him and Leia are actually living separately, right? And they yeah. only see each other. Well, it's not clear how regularly, but they're not living in the same place. Yeah, exactly. So presumably those limits have been stretched quite a lot by that point. Mm. Um, yeah, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it's clearly like they're in the early phases of their marriage. And at this point, it's still very like hopeful and loving and good. You know, like obviously Han like is stressed and he's worrying and he feels like he can't do anything right. Which is really sad, but I think that ultimately Leia is able to reassure him that no is okay and as you said, you can't be expected to know everything. It's all weird and new and strange. Um uh, but there's also a moment earlier on that I really appreciated where it was talking about Han recognising Leia's grief over Alderon. Yeah. And how she has this certain facade that she displays in public, but then in private she completely breaks down and she's just shattered by it and destroyed. And it was just talking about how he tried to support her through that and be there for her. And I really appreciated that because throughout the whole book there's lots of emphasis on how Leia supports Han and how she kind of teaches him to deal with things emotionally and it was so nice to see the reverse of that you know because Leia is always the strong one and I like that even in a book that wasn't about Leia you still get that moment where she's allowed to not be strong in air quotes and that's okay too and he's the one who can be the comforting supportive one. Yeah I hadn't really thought too much about how much I would need to look at Han and Leia's domestic life before everything went wrong by the time The Force Awakens rolled around, you know? Because, like, you know that there were happy times, but yes. we hadn't hadn't had a chance to see it yet, like, after Return of the Jedi. Um, so, obviously, it, it's lended an extra air of tragedy because we know what's happening down the line. And that makes all of this stuff so much worse because, of course, it's perfectly fine for Han and Leia to want to spend time away from their child. But because we know later on that Ben then feels that sense of fandom and... and subsequent resentment towards his parents like not feeling like his needs were met as a force sensitive child who could maybe sense that his parents didn't want to be around him all the time and as a two-year-old that would be hard to understand right because it's me me, yeah. me at that age yeah 
That'd um, be like heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, there's this real sense of foreboding tragedy over all of this. Um, and yeah. I think the author has spoken in interviews about how he didn't have to do all that much there because all of that set up and the reader already knows that. Um, so almost like painting this happy picture of Ben's childhood and how happy his parents were together, the work is already done because you know that all that stuff can't last. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you that bit. I've got a quote here if you want me to read it out yeah, about um, Leia grieving for Alderaan. Um, Han felt a familiar sadness open in him. It was the same one that rose whenever something happened to Leia that reminded her of watching her home planet explode into a million particles from the deck of the Death Star. She would perform and perform, smiling and pretending everything was okay, and only Han would know she was so- slowly falling to pieces inside. And then they'd finally make it home and she'd collapse stare at nothing for hours and slowly, grudgingly, let Han comfort her and bring her tea. And then the tears would come and Han would hold her as she heaved and released. And that's when inside he'd be breaking too, piece by piece, with no idea how to put himself back together, let alone his grieving wife. Aww. Yeah, like passages like that, that was like completely my jam and I loved those. Like they were completely the highlight for me. And that's very well written and very like viscerally described to the extent that you can really feel like how shattered they both are by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You get lovely moments like that. And then you also get these very realistic, relatable aspects of like Han desperately itching to be away when he's at home. Like, Oh, I need to get out of here and go off and do something exciting. And then when he's away, missing Leia and Ben to death. Yeah. And desperately wanting to be back home and in bed with his wife and, you know, yeah. being held Cra- by her. Craving the next hollow call. Yeah, so it really is a grass is always the grass is always greener situation. And I feel like that is this part of growing up and settling down, this idea that, oh, I could be missing out on something much more exciting, but also it's amazing to have someone who loves me so much and I want to be there for them. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Like baby Ben Solo is so cute. <laughs> oh yeah. like it was so scary for me seeing him about to be killed by that droid obviously you know that he's got like plot plot armor so you know nothing's gonna happen that stuff was written really scarily i was pretty spooked by certain aspects of this book honestly it got quite gruesome yeah Yeah, like the scariest bit for me was when the droid is thinking in very very detailed terms about exactly how it's going to murder this toddler yeah it's (laughs) creepy it's like yeah making incisions along the spine or something like that it's <laughs> yeah. really gross like this is a two-year-old boy and then he turns around his big watery eyes <laughs> ben solo constantly cried as a child <laughs> and he constantly cries as a grown man That's <laughs> exactly it's just like oh we get it yeah. he's a crier <laughs> but there are lots of happy moments with him too because like you know, when Lando gets there and he runs out, he's about to have a bath and he runs out naked. <laughs> I love that you added context to that, just so it wasn't like, he randomly runs out naked. <laughs> <laughs> really funny, because it's like, we're supposed to be, well, we're not supposed to be, but there's this idea that we're supposed to be scared of Kylo Ren as supreme leader, you know, yeah. like, oh, he's built back up again by the end of The Last Jedi to this scary villain who Ray has to be, and it's like, No. <laughs> No, he's a naked toddler. <laughs> he's saying, Uncle Not Mama. scared of him at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the whole comeback dada thing on the hollow. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Tugging on Did the Did you see any parallels between um, 
Kylo and Han when you were reading it in terms of their characterizations or just descriptions of them? Um, the big one for me was right at the beginning. I think it was page 17 where mm-hmm. Leia is telling Han to put a shirt on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you think that's intentional or not? I would love for it to be intentional. <laughs> it was just like, because he walks out and she's trying to have this meeting in their living room. Mon Mothma calls and sees him. And she's like, oh, you shouldn't be talking to your droids so nastily. And Han basically tells her <laughs> to fuck off. <laughs> I did love that. like Just like passive aggressive relationship with um, yeah. Mothma. It was great. Yeah. And Leia says several times, like, Han, please put a shirt on. <laughs> Can you put a cowl on or something? <laughs> I will never get over the fact that she asked for a cow. <laughs> that just makes it so much funnier to me. Oh my god. But yeah, no, definitely. Like I didn't like notice anything on like a deep characterization level. So I think really the impression I get with um Ben and Han is that the relationship is to a large extent marked by difference. Right. Like, in terms of how they are as people. Like because that's the big source of like the friction and the conflict between them. It's not to say that there's not like a great deal of love and like affinity there and obviously we know all know that ben solo has his father's heart deep down as snoke tells us um but yeah i think in terms of personality they're very different people so i wasn't surprised that there weren't really big like call forwards i guess to one day my son is going to repeat this moment that i have just done i think there was another moment of han reflecting on how he didn't believe in the force and that, again, mm. emphasises that divide, right? Because yeah. there's a difference, I think, between a character just not having the Force or being Force-sensitive or whatever you, you would say the term is, but in terms of like actively not believing in it and maybe even scoffing at it, if you had a child who was strongly Force-sensitive, um, and I think it's used as coding for like very emotionally sensitive as well, honestly, with like how much Ben seems to feel... I mean, two-year-olds cry a lot anyway, but we know that Kylo Ren is an emotional person. Emotionally volatile. Um, So I I feel like that's kind of embedded in there, that they feel things on a deeper level. And that's why you get this connection between Rey and Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi, that only they can understand each other in this term, you know? Um, That if his father couldn't feel that way, then maybe they would always feel like there was this big divide between them. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. Um, right, do we want to move on to discuss the Han and Lando dynamic in the book? Sure. I really liked their interactions in this, and I especially liked um, the new development, or at least it was a new development for me. I don't know if it's been referenced in any other canon materials, and you might be able to help with this. That, like Lando, post the um, Galactic War, he seems to have like moved into this business of like building droids. That's like his new thing. Um, and I really liked that. And I think there's going to be interesting synergy with the solo movie there in terms of um, that that's what he's up to. And yeah, I really liked seeing how Han and Lando, even though they've obviously gone very different paths now from their like old gangster ways and they're both nominally respectable, they kind of do sort of like devolve back to this prior state of being when they're in contact with each other. Because they've known each other for such a long time and they obviously have this common like history in the uh, criminal underworld that, yeah, they're always going to fall back into those old patterns of behaviour to a certain extent. 
Yeah, it was really well done, this idea of them both having to grow up and face the fact that they weren't just these scoundrels anymore. Yes. And you get these pretty strong parallels between them that they both have these walls that they build up. Like, I think Lando is talking in his inner monologue when he has Kasha in his arms, they're lying in bed together, that he does have these walls and he's terrified of bringing them down and what that might mean um, for how his relationship with her might progress. And that feels pretty close to how Han and Leia got together, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, you're right. I think another big theme of the whole book is like that whole sense of responsibility. So like learning to value other people over and above yourself. Um, and that's very much something that you see with Han and Lando. Um, and yeah, it's nice. And they definitely feel more like grown-ups in this book, despite the occasional like childish squabbling. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really liked the way that they were creating, well, just like emphasizing these parallels that we already knew were there between Han and Lando. They're both these scoundrel characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like Lando coming to terms with the fact that he has feelings Yes. And that she has feelings for him too. And all this idea of like, I don't know if I can be the person that she wants me to be, but I am that person as well as this person. Mm. And Lando contains multitudes. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> I really liked actually how that was resolved in the book. Like, it's not like, oh, you need to give up that roguish part of yourself. It was just about acknowledging both those sides. And again, like trying to find balance, which also ties into the sequel trilogy. It's all about balance. So maybe Lando's the key to all this. Um, and yeah, like I like that. That felt honest because to me, like characters like Han and Lando, they can never be like squeaky clean. They can never like give up those parts of themselves, but they absolutely can like move on from being completely beholden to them. You know, they can grow up and yeah, be responsible. Mhm. Yeah, I I really liked the character of Kasha as well. Like, obviously, she wasn't as well developed as the others because she's a secondary character in a way. Yes. But um, I felt like she was kind of a parallel to Leia as well. Like, when they're talking in their kitchen about, oh, okay, so here's Kasha on Lando to Leia. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was brave, sure, but always in the service of saving his own hide or profit. But I had also detected that deep down, beyond all that smooth talking and those well-ironed capes, <laughs> there was a whole human being with a conscience and a desperate need to do something worthwhile with his life. That mm. could be Leia talking about Han. Yeah, exactly. I definitely think that the book was very much like about emphasizing how similar the two characters are, which I don't think is like a shock because they've always been like on a level, so to speak. But yeah, I think it's really brought out like in this book especially through like those pairings because yeah Kasha is certainly like the layer equivalent for Lando like do you think it lasts Kirsty? do you think it lasts long well this is what I'm wondering about where are these characters during the sequel trilogy era I know lots of people were hoping that Lando would be in the movies mm. um now we have Kasha on the scene too are they like happily married and retired somewhere yeah, they they might have like little like babies, like um little Jason's Cindula. Aww, <laughs> I hope so. I don't want to think about the alternative, but then I'm like, well, why wouldn't Lando answer Leia's call? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're gonna have to explain that. <laughs> like that just feels very strange to me. It's one of those things where I don't want to think about it too hard. So it brings up troubling thoughts and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want Lando to be okay. <laughs> yeah. 
We said earlier that it got pretty sexy between them. Yeah. But I love that they had these details as well. I'm such a sucker for these little things. Like they went into how touching the leku is like very intimate for Twi'leks. Yes. And that reminded that. me of like the old Iranian culture in Leia Princess of Alderaan when you like untie the braids. That's a very intimate act too. That's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought of that before, but now you say it, I think. Yeah, there may well be something in there. I wonder if that's the kind of thing where they are conscious about it you know like and they want to like evoke it or if it's just something I just that organically a, i think it's just that it's a trope you know yeah. that like, there would be this thing that like represents something to this culture and then lando and kashu decide that that's what they're they're at that level in their relationship so yeah. it's an easy way of like showing how he feels because i think he even says at one point like oh enough of words let me show you and the implication is that they're about to have sex and then Taka walks in and he's like Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my goodness that was such like a classic comedy <laughs> Lando just jumps out of bed and Taka's <laughs> like ooh but <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that was so funny yeah Aww. scenes like that definitely the highlights it was really nice um, do we want to talk about the whole like strand of droid rights in the book? So I think that's the other like thing we have in the notes, and I also have thoughts on that. So I found that very interesting. Yeah. So the the last major theme that we wanted to talk about, and potentially because this might feed into Solo somewhere in terms of L three three seven, is the issue of droid rights, because yes. that's basically the through line in terms of Fies and Gores villainous ways right like he's manipulating droid killing machines and splicing them with human and wookie limbs which is gross yes um yeah it's oh, all pretty I hated horrifying the descriptions of that the way I like know. the limbs are like decaying it's just like you must be completely bonkers what is the benefit of this <laughs> i'm pretty squeamish so some of that honestly was hard to read yeah it was real um, body horror yeah so I mean, it was pretty great in that we got the droid's point of view when that switch is made in their head, right? So you can... It, oh, it honestly did remind me of, like, the Cybermen. Sorry people who don't watch mm. Doctor Who, but it's, like, this idea of them having this overriding function to destroy and kill others, but then there's this part of them deep down that still knows what's happening, but they can't do anything about it. It's horrible. Yeah. No, it was really creepy. Like, especially the way towards the end, there's that robot going, like, help me. Yeah. That was very Cyberman. I, I've seen Doctor Who stories where you get very similar things happening. Yeah. Um. So we didn't get as much as of L3 in the story as I'd hoped for because I really wanted to learn more about her. But what we did get was great. Yeah. I loved her interactions with Lando. Yes. And I love that it emphasized that she's not Lando's droid. She's a droid that hangs out with Lando and they have this relationship but she's her own droid. Yeah. Um, and that she has these things that she keeps secret from him that she's working on herself. Yeah. That was awesome. No, yeah, no, it made me so excited to see that character in the film. In terms of anticipation for the solo film, that element was definitely the most successful because I was like, I love this droid. <laughs> I need to see more of her. Because, yeah, that is just such an interesting idea. I think previously we've always seen droids as these kind of like subservient figures. They, they've always basically just been servants to the humans, you know, they're like loyal dogs. And like BB-8 is like the ultimate of that because he's just like a little puppy, you know, and he'll do anything for his masters. And that's adorable, but it's really interesting to see like another facet to that because it's clearly a technic technologically advanced civilization. 
So you'd think that like droid mechanics would have evolved beyond that, and they clearly have. So yeah, it's nice to see that as a through line. And I, I think also ages ago, I think maybe just after Force Awakens came out, wasn't there like a comic miniseries about C-3PO that was very much like about droid rights and like droids trying to like self-determine their own destinies? I never read that. Is that all about how C-3PO got his red arm? <laughs> yeah, like that is the one about that. But I think okay. there's like a similar plot thing going on. And uh, I haven't read it either, so I might be wrong. But if I'm right, then I just find it interesting because that's clearly been a thing for a long time. I wonder, is it just a coincidence that Kasdan wanted to write about that? But then again, actually, this solo movie's been in development for such a long time. It wouldn't surprise me if they kind of knew that was a thing going on in that script. And so they plucked that out and kept that in mind for like the canon Bible or whatever they have going. And yeah, then they drew upon that for this book and for the solo film. Yeah, I think it has been an ongoing theme. And I think it was something that even ran in Legends to an extent. Mm. Um, I had a quick look on Wikipedia the other day and saw some things about like... I can't remember what they were called, but like, you know, droids, droid treaties, and like how, how you would treat droids and whether they should be owned. And, and you, you even get that sense of like R2-D2 and C-3PO, like when they're away at the beginning of New Hope and they're kind of figuring things out for themselves, mm. this back and forth of like R2 being like, well, no, I have this mission. I have to go like, even in, from a certain point of view, he's like enacting his own, will because he knows he needs to get to Luke because that's that's the destiny of the force right that he has yeah. to do that to help yeah and yeah R2's always been sassy and has his own personality and isn't afraid to say what he thinks yeah. and hold back what he chooses not to share too because you can tell he knows a lot more than he actually lets on <laughs> yes very much <laughs> so I think they've been building to this stuff for a while especially with like characters like K2SO you know, they they say what they think. They have thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's kind of the natural evolution of that stuff. So yeah. I'm really excited to see where they go with it. I don't think it will play an absolutely major part because it hasn't been hinted at in terms of the major plot. And yes. 3 isn't the protagonist. It's Han. But I feel like <laughs> yeah. it's going to be a factor in the story. Definitely. Can you imagine if Stars ever reached a point where they were confident to have a robot protagonist? That would be so ace. I think they could do it. Like, if they're paving the way with this character, she's almost not a droid. She's yeah. a person, right? Um, yeah. She's her own person. She basically saves the day in this book. Like, mm. it's down to her efforts that, and all the timelines come together at the end, and it's like, oh, we have these other L3 droids who are resistant to the virus, and she did that. That's amazing. Yeah. No, she's basically the hero in the end, because without yeah. what she did the whole galaxy would really be screwed so yeah very important lady (laughs) very important lady oh my goodness I make it sound like a politician (laughs) and there's also a part where they're like maybe she's lesbian the lesbian hero droid we deserve I like that um, Lando kind of got himself into a bit of a flap when he kind of like twigged to that and like Mm. L3 was just like oh shut up (laughs) (laughs) he was like oh I thought so but (laughs) (laughs) And she's just clearly so above it all. It's like she's yeah. on another level. 
I kind of get the impression that she tolerates him and she kind of finds him endearing in a way. But Yeah, isn't, aren't there these inner monologue parts where she's like, oh, it's kind of hard to like talk to humans because you kind of just have to go along at their pace and then drop into the conversation <laughs> when they're ready for you to come back with something. I can't remember the exact I think there but... probably was something like that, yeah. yeah it's very funny. But yeah, that she, she likes Lando. He's, he's not so bad for a person. Yeah, exactly. She finds him tolerable. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to sum up about the book? I can't remember if there was anything else. There were lots of like cute little Easter eggs. Like There's lots more baby Ben Solo stuff, cuteness with Leia and everything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I, I would recommend that people read it if they haven't, but I feel like if you're listening to this discussion, you probably have read it. So. Yeah, exactly. It would be very hard to follow, I think, if you hadn't. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was a good primer for the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think you're going to read any of the other Solo books? So I know there's an one with young Han and Kira, right? Is yeah. What's what's the other one? Um. Oh God, I can't remember what the other ones are. I just know really consciously about the one with Han and Kira, which I think I'm probably going to read. Yeah, I will read that because I'm interested in that character and and their existing relationship. Yeah, I think that one comes out when the movie does. Right. So if it comes out afterwards, I guess it'll fill in stuff that the movie just doesn't have time to. So yeah. Well, I very much enjoyed this discussion as always. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably time to say goodbye um, and go to our respective homes. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, one thing I want to do before we end the show this time, so I always forget, is I just wanted to say a big, big thank you to everyone who's been rating us and leaving us reviews on iTunes, because so many of you have been doing it. It's really, really humbling. And yeah, I... I just don't say thank you enough and I honestly depend on Kirsty to keep me informed about what's going on because she actually gets the US iTunes which is where most of the reviews are left so yeah I'm always astounded by the kind of things she reads out to me it's very lovely and humbling so thank you they are very lovely thank you to everyone who takes the time to do that it's really nice and yeah so I think we will leave it there for today um but yeah until next time, you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Hold on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>